Welcome back to the Parent Stuff Podcast. My name is Evan Semenko. I'm the host, and I'm joined by one of my favorite guests. I've had some great guests, Perry, but you, since the beginning, were somebody that I always want to talk to. Perry Reed, introduce yourself. Tell us about you and tell us what you do. Yeah, so I'm Perry Gilbert Reed. I am married to the wonderful Brian Reed. Got to give him a shout out. Whoop, right. whoop. Whoop, whoop. And I am an LPC. I'm a licensed professional counselor as well as a registered play therapist. Um, I work with all ages, though, but I specialize um, with children. I'm co-owner of Shreveport Counseling and Restoration Center. Yeah, you are. <laughs> the empire taking over the world. When you started, you worked at another counseling center. You opened over a year ago now, right? Uh, yeah. Shreveport Counseling, started your own ago. business. Entrepreneur. <laughs> And you are now grown to seven therapists that work with you. It's awesome. So we are big fans of Perry. We're going to put a link in the show notes so you can find her, her counseling center. If you're looking for a counselor, highly recommend Perry. She's pretty busy. (laughs) She's got a lot of great people working with her. So even if you don't get Perry, we recommend Shreveport Counseling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why don't you guys do that? Great. Uh, people on staff. Um, Whitney Wallace is my co-owner. Uh, we have another, um, play therapist uh she will soon be fully uh credentialed in play therapy um kelsey petty uh laura Tutch. um i'm trying to think i was gonna say you started saying some names and now you're on the hook for saying all of them (laughs) you you could have just said one i could have but you know natalie russell our friend the russells natalie russell and then um jennifer derrick and heather ferry so we're super excited you got seven seven okay good yeah and now i'm like "Mm." um on there i don't know how to count but i can't count to seven (laughs) i don't Uh. know math maybe i should say (laughs) that i do know how to count i just don't know math (laughs) there's a difference there's there's levels yes. of math <laughs> absolutely but perry is great perry worked with us at simple church big fan of perry love having her on there perry i was going to tell you this but i decided to wait till on the air okay. your contact in my phone is still when we photoshopped you with Pee Wee herman O-M-G. do you remember that i do remember that at the I office I that picture oh do you really that's good you can see i've got you O-M-G. there about 12 15 years ago <laughs> we put perry with Pee Wee herman because she hates Pee Wee herman and we uh, printed it and put it I'm in her not, office i'm not a fan there you go. Oh, there. So. But, you know, whatever. We go way back, Perry. We Today, do. we're having a good time. We're talking, but we're going to switch gears because we want to talk about a heavy issue. If yeah. you downloaded this episode, you saw in the title, I reached out to you because in the office, we were talking, there was a suicide here in Shreveport, Bossier recently of a teenager, a 14-year-old boy, yeah. and it's it's a heavy thing. September yeah. was Suicide Awareness Month. True Right Love in Our Arms is an organization we mm-hmm. partner with is really kind of championing Suicide Awareness Day, September 10th. So we went and kind of did some stuff with that. But you're here today because we want to help some parents. This is to help parents win on parent stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a topic that you probably were not like, hey, you know what I really hope I listen to a podcast about? <laughs> it's teen suicide and self-harm. But yeah. it is a real topic that is real issues. And if you are somebody that you've had a child that's gone through that, you are somebody that's gone through that, it is really, really difficult. It is unbelievably hard to talk about. There's a yeah. stigma with it, and we just want to help break some of that down. So you're in a safe place listening to this podcast. Perry is a professional counselor. I am not. I was a youth pastor for about 12 years and met with students and have seen students that have gone through self-harm. We've gone through and walked with families that have had a suicide in the family, and mm-hmm. it is one of the worst parts of the job, honestly, yeah. as a pastor going in those worst moments and being there for that. And we want to help you as a parent today to just try to maybe recognize some warning signs if you have some questions maybe bust some myths that you were saying of things that we don't know what to do because, again, it's not something that they really teach you in school, how yeah. to talk to your kid about suicide. Right. There's not really a parenting class a lot of times that covers <laughs> this stuff. So for the next 30 minutes or so, Perry, we're just going to sit at your feet. 
learn from your wisdom and try to help some parents that maybe you've started to see some things. Maybe your kids are younger and you want to be preventative or start having conversations now. And that's what this podcast is all about. So, Perry, let's just start in general. Okay. So we're talking about suicide prevention, self-harm, all this kind of stuff. In your practice, as you've been a counselor, what are some things you've seen? You work mostly with students when it comes to, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Do you see more of it in the last 15 or so years that you've been working on this kind of stuff? Tell us just your perspective as a counselor, what you're seeing in your office. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of different things. The pandemic did not help. Um, And so some people ask, why is it on the rise now? And Research has shown it went into, um, it was on the rise later, uh, like in the 90s, early 2000s, then it declined, and then it increased, started increasing again around 2009, 2010. Of course, then with us having the pandemic, that didn't help. Right. Um, we know it's the second leading cause of death for 15 to 24-year-olds. What's first, do you know? Uh, do what now? I'm you know what's first? What? I don't know. I'm asking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. That's okay. I didn't know what is first. <laughs> um, yeah, I do not. I'm gonna know look what it up while you're first. talking. Yeah, you look at that. Um, one thing that I did find was one piece of research showed that it is they use 10 to 24 year olds, and that's huge. We never uh, want anyone to die of suicide, but certainly not a 10 year old. Um, and we are, or what I am seeing in my room is a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Um, and a lot of inability to, f- uh, to understand feelings, to feel feelings, and to let them out in a healthy way. Mm. And then there's a lack of support for anyone wanting to let out their feelings to do wow. so. Um, I often ask my families when they're coming in, whether it's a parent coming in seeking services for Uh, their child or in a family counseling setting is do you have a feelings language in your home and Mm. often I just kind of get that look of like what I don't know if we have one period what is that (laughs) (laughs) exactly and part of it is there there are generations of people who were never taught how to feel their feelings and when we emotions are energy and so when that gets bottled up then it we don't know what to do all right, so Perry, one thing you mentioned there that I think is a good thing, let's define some terms, is sure. depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. That gets thrown around a lot. You see a lot of things about mental health, Instagram accounts, all these people who are wannabe counselors maybe that throw it around lightly. So for you, working with mostly kids, working with teenagers, what does that mean? If you're a parent and you're like, well, my kid's an angsty teenager, then you go to a counselor, they're depressed or mm-hmm. anxious, mm-hmm. versus what are some things to look for that, man, they really probably are at a serious point where they need to talk about those things. Sure. So feelings are on a continuum. We have, just think of a line, and at one end is like no emotions, or the only emotion that we experience is happiness, and that's on one end. Pretty rare. (laughs) I'd say most people aren't there. (laughs) And then the other end is I feel all emotion, and I feel overwhelmed, and that could be anything from anger outbursts to extreme anxiety. And those are two extremes. And then in the middle is where I can feel emotions on either side, but I know how to manage them. Mm. And so when it comes to anxiety, a a parent may ask me, how do I know if my child has has anxiety? Well, the first thing I do is go, is it impacting their functioning? So there are natural anxieties. We know, you know what the top fear is? Like for people in general? Public speaking. Exactly. Yes. So, 
anybody's going to be anxious when they have to do public speaking. Now, I taught high school for eight years. I ain't scared of nothing. God bless um, you. But <laughs> so, but for most of it is. So there are natural anxieties. There's a natural anxiety in performing in front of people and that kind of thing. That doesn't mean you have an anxious child. That, that setting is naturally anxious, um, anxiety-producing. But when it impacts the functioning, for instance, um, we have panic attacks, we get sick, you have symptoms, we have bodily symptoms when we have anxiety. Sometimes it's uh, our knots, our stomach are knots, um, our stomachs, our stomach is in knots. Um, we have can't talk or we get really dry mouth or we sweat. Those are symptoms of some of the anxiety, but it really does produce the inability to follow through with a daily function. Hmm. So I think about my sister. I don't think she listens. Aaron, you should. But <laughs> she had stomach aches every Sunday night going into middle school for mm-hmm. probably like two years. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom pulling her hair out and venting to us <laughs> and trying to figure out what to do. And it's, it's stressful. It's hard on everybody. It's like as a sibling, I was mm-hmm. affected because I dreaded Sunday nights because there was fights and upset and everybody was unhappy and the vibes were bad in the house. And I know that even just secondhand through her experiencing that and doing it, and she's a physical therapist now, she figured it out, but I know in those phases it's really tough. So yeah. those things that you're talking about, the feelings, language, and doing that, so what age should they start that? What do you think? Oh, as early as possible. I thought you were going to say yes. that. So what you are some me. things to do like on a practical level? So if you want to start having those feelings conversations, what would a parent do? What is something that make that better and start at a young age? So I have a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old. I try to always just pull it back to myself because I'm trying to figure this parenting thing out with you, too. And so what are some things to do on a practical thing to start having those conversations? Sure. So we want to normalize feelings. We want to normalize emotions. So a lot of times parents will say, I didn't know that was happening. And sometimes there is nothing a parent can do necessarily because if the child doesn't want to let you know, the child doesn't want to let you know. Mm -hmm. There are fine ways. So And I think parents just receive that for a second because I think, like my wife, Mallory, is a great mom, but she carries a lot of guilt of I should be doing more. I'm not doing enough. I, how do I do this? And there are some things you cannot control as there a parent. There are just <laughs> some things, absolutely, right. that you cannot control. And, you know, there's temperaments involved with kiddos. They're going, they're not many me's. They are their own individual selves. Mm. And so they have their own temperament. And they may want to tell you things. They may not want to tell you things. But we want to leave the door open that they feel safe enough to tell us those things. So the sooner we start talking about feelings, the better. We want to be cautious of our words. Um, you know, some people were raised with, you suck it up. Stop that crying. There's nothing to cry Rub about. some dirt on it. <laughs> and so we need to remember that no matter if it's not a big deal to us, it's a big deal to them. So mm-hmm. how do we normalize that? We would go, wow, that's really tough for you. So we're going to validate that emotion. And then the second thing is what can we do together to help you through that emotion right now or what you're feeling or what you're experiencing? Sometimes, though, the younger the child, the harder it's going to be for them on that. So we may just have – I do games. Have a fun game on the table while you're eating dinner. And it hmm. could be um, you have a die and you roll it and let's say it lands on a five. And you have a poster that, you know, I say a poster like a play, yeah. placemat size of poster or even just an eight Printed and a half by eleven. Yeah. yeah. And you count down five. That fifth emotion, let's say it's sad. And you would say a time I was sad was. And you name that. Mom does it. Dad does it. Everybody at the table does it. Hmm. Okay. Sometimes in our society, we're real good at advocating for happy emotions because nobody feels bad about happy emotions. Right. But when it comes to those other 
other emotions and putting quotes around that, we don't know what to do with them. And we don't feel like we have a right to them. No, God created us and everything inside of us. And we need to know that all emotions are okay. It may be what we do with that emotion that may mm. not be okay, how we act that out, but all emotions are okay. And we need to give our children a space to be honored in that emotion and to help them regulate that emotion. And you know I'm about to say this. Oh. But all parents are going to be um, models for what to do with those feelings. Perry, every time you come on, <laughs> we talk about the kids and their problems. We don't need to work on ourselves as parents. I know. That's I know. way harder. We just want to <laughs> fix our kids. No, I think about Inside Out, the movie. Yes. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, so at the end of the movie, it's really coming to the realization that it cannot be joy all the time. Mm -hmm. She has to learn to cope with that sadness and going through. And I don't know if that's clinically a good movie or not, if it lines up with all the stuff, but it See, seemed I like. read Inside Out to my clients. So there you I'm go. Like, okay, that makes me feel better. Mom, let's have a seat. And we're going to talk about it because there is a book out there. It's Inside Out, and um, it's Joy's version of the event at the end, but it's also Sadness's version. Hmm. And how when they start telling the story, you flip the book over and it's the other side of the story. At the end, though, it's both joy and sadness holding the same memory. Yeah. And it's like we can both see this memory and have two different perspectives of it. Hmm. And both are okay. And oh, it's the great. first time joy realizes sadness's purpose and sadness realizes she has a purpose. Absolutely. And hands down, one of the saddest scenes in any Pixar movie is Bing Bong mm -hmm. sacrificing himself. Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I don't know what to do, but great movie. So if you're looking for a way to start feelings, maybe part watch the movie coming. together. There's a part two coming? Yes. Nice. That's good. I'm excited. All right. So that's a great practical way to die. I love that idea gamifying it, having something. We got these little table talk cards that we do, and we did it this summer that we loved with our yeah. seven- and four-year-old, and just trying to make it natural, right? Make it normal. Yeah, make it so I feel like I say this about every third parent podcast, but as a youth pastor, parents typically came in crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Something's happened. Something's wrong. They got in trouble suspended at school. They got they caught looking at porn. And all of a sudden, they're bringing them to the pastor, right? The youth pastor of the church to fix them. But it's really the long, steady journey over time of doing yes. it. So, Perry, I'm going to have you grade me in real time as a dad. This was the day. I thought about this as soon as you said this. <laughs> and maybe I'm trying, hopefully, to be better. <laughs> Nora, this morning, we're getting ready for school. I'm the morning dad. I get up and try to talk to her at breakfast. And she's worried about gym. She doesn't want to go to gym today. And starts to tear up a little. I was like, what's wrong with Jim? It's fine. You run around. She's like, we played crab soccer. And somebody on my team told me that I was not good in helping the team. Mm. And so I said, Nora, I was terrible at crab soccer. And I got down on the ground and I showed her how bad I am at being a crab soccer and got her to laugh. We talked about it and then we prayed about it on the way to school. And I just talked to her about an hour ago and she had a great day and she said they played something else and she was fine. And I just think about, no offense to my dad, love my dad, great dad. He probably would have said, rub some dirt on it. <laughs> he probably, I don't remember him ever going and crawling on the ground. And I'm not like, whoa, look at me. Pat me on the back. I'm great. But I do think that I, as a dad, I'm trying to listen to people like you, listening to podcasts. Parent Q is a resource that I really like that you can follow on Instagram, get their stuff and orange what they're doing. But I feel like I'm just going to celebrate the win right now because I know I'll probably have a couple L's in a row this next <laughs> week. But this morning, I was like, okay, I think I did that right. And if you're a parent, it's you never know. Right. You don't really know what's working or what's not, but I think that because of learning, because of listening, because of trying to get better, listening to stuff like this podcast, we're thankful you're trying, you can pick up those little things, and then it's not going to be like a magic bullet fix-all one-time right. thing, but those little things over time will help build up for that, and that's just a practical example. In my life for this morning, I felt like I did something right, Perry. Look at you. Yeah, I tried. Self-braggy there, but <laughs> it's it's a battle. 
It's a battle. It is. And I think one of the most important things we can do is validate the child in their emotion. Mm. This is scary for you. I see this is scary for you. I recognize this is hard for you. I recognize that you wish you didn't have to go to school today. Sometimes we get into our parent mode and we forget to recognize that we were once that age. Or right. we, like, downplay, right? Back yeah. in my day, you don't know how good you have it. Exactly. I was way harder when I was a kid. You, why are you complaining now? You've got the stuff. You can do this. And what that teaches the child, then, is, okay, that's not okay to feel that way then. Hmm. And that's when they bottle up those emotions because time and time again, and we got to remember, I'm going to hit this real quick, maybe one day we can do a solid brain podcast. Ooh, <laughs> I'm going to make a note of that and have you back. Brain. Done. Because <laughs> there's so much information, so I'm going to hit this. But there's something called neural pathways, and neural pathways attach feelings to experiences. So every time I have an experience with someone, a feeling is attached to that and I either learn this is good this is bad I don't like this I don't know about this yet but this neural what we call neural network is built and if every time I come to you and I say I'm really sad about x y and z and you go okay well we all have problems what does that teach (laughs) me that teaches me I'm gonna quit telling you that yeah that doesn't, that's not what I want to hear. This doesn't feel good. And I go back and I. And as a parent, that's really not the end result you want. Right. You want them to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You want them to come to you and trust you. But we do things that we think are what they need sometimes and inadvertently shoot ourselves in the foot and end up pushing away the person that we really want to talk to. And and I was going to drop another one on the parent. Come on. Um, Is that sometimes because of our own stuff, mm. we have difficulty sitting in our child's emotion. Phew. It reminds us of something that we have endured and a feeling we've had. So we don't want to feel that. So you've got to we keep that at arm's length with the child. So almost what you're saying is, Perry, adults should go to counseling <laughs> and work on themselves too. Might be nice. Yeah, I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there. Yeah, that's tough. That's so it true, is. though. Absolutely. So those are younger age, just proactive things to do. But let's say as a parent, maybe you've started to notice changes, middle school age, maybe even a little bit younger. Yeah. I don't know what you're seeing fifth, sixth grade, but they're starting to notice, okay, my child's behavior's different, things are different, they're not acting the same, maybe there's no self-harm that they've seen or can prove yet, or eating disorders, or these really heavy things, but you feel like you're noticing, you're on the beginning part of that. Mm -hmm. What would you say to a parent that maybe is starting to be concerned about their teenager? Sure. So you always want to ask the question, you're not going to give the child the idea by asking the question. And we just need to remember, hey, are you doing okay? Mom, I'm fine. You ask me that all the time. Well, they may be fussing about that, but you've left the door open for them to walk through. So there's nothing wrong with asking the question. And deep down, I I know they really like it. They want it. They're going to act like they don't. Right. And as an adult now, I can look back and say, I was probably a pill. I was not easy to live with, and I could be rude to my parents to do it. But I know they love me. I never doubted that they cared and checked on me. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, I was a teenager. Right. <laughs> I didn't like At it. At the moment, hormones were still there. Right. So, yes. And so if you notice, you, you brought up a key warning sign, and that is when you see the change in behavior. Right. I learned that from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really have. Yeah. And it's, it's true. And so being able to recognize that, and if there's still this disconnect, if you still begin to see those changes your child isn't it opening up to you that is the time to reach out to a counselor don't keep waiting and no i already know your kid's not going well i'm not getting in that car i'm not doing this well how you gonna get home 
you know. And mm-hmm. I've even told parents, if you get here, they don't want to come in, have them sit out in the lobby, and even I'll talk. Because if anything, I can give the parent the tips and tools to help the child as long as I know what's going on. Um, I think we have to remember, too, that sometimes there are circumstances that we see and sometimes we don't see. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what all is feeding that response yeah. going on there. No, that's great. So you're a professional counselor. We have a list of counselors. If you're a part of Simple Church, we'll help pay and refer you to counselors as a gift of being a part of the Simple Church. We want to help get you started in that. We believe in it, put our money where our mouth is. So if it's something that I know it can be expensive and I know it can be overwhelming to start or how to pick or know what to do. Just another thing, too, that I've heard from you and from other people is if your first counselor doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that all counselors aren't going to work out. If you don't really connect with that person or it's not the right fit and for your kid, they don't connect with them, you try again. You don't give up because you get a bad haircut and think that all haircuts cuts are bad right? right you go and try to keep going until you find the one that's right for you and that's, that's a, a big deal analogy. yeah no I'm just I think about it because it's so I think the the bias the fear is is well I didn't really want to do it in the first place and I go and I did it once and then I can check it off the list that I can say that I tried sometimes mm-hmm. that it's something that well I we went to a counselor it just didn't work it's like no <laughs> we got to keep working on ourselves continuously yeah. it's never-ending process as adults and then as our kids as parents we're trying to help them to get to that point to talk about things and it's a big deal it's a value so yeah. your kids aren't bad if you go to counseling it's not like you failed as a parent because your kid goes to counseling you're not a failure and letting down anybody because you think that you haven't done the right things I go my wife goes we've all seen a counselor most of us in the staff see a counselor and we are really trying to work on that because as a counselor you know there's a stigma there's a fear there's a, a I don't want to be crazy I'm not going to go I don't need it I'm not as bad as somebody else yeah. and that keeps some people from getting the help that we think they need and as the church we are honored because a lot of people come to us first. Yeah. They trust us. They've seen us. They know the in connection. And I've referred probably dozens, if not hundreds of kids to counseling over the years and trying to help to take that step and bridge that gap. Yeah. So if you're interested in that, we'll have a link in the show notes of ways to get in touch with Perry. We can help you find another counselor. But please don't let that keep you from getting help and talking about it if you feel like something's going on with your Absolutely. child. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, Perry, so that's the early warning signs. Let's say now they're in a crisis. They've. Yeah. Notice that one of their children started self-harm, cutting. They catch their daughter throwing up and having forced themselves to throw up. It's a nightmare scenario. It's a really scary, difficult thing for a parent. What would they do? What should they do? Well, I'm going to say the hard stuff yeah. um, that we need to, to know. I think the myth, here's one of those myths, mm-hmm. is whether they're just seeking attention. Okay, mm. let's take that that's a part of that's a truth. Let's say they are seeking attention, but we also need to look at it Why are they seeking it that way? Mm. It's a very harmful behavior. It's hurting them. We still need to seek out help for that. And so the the hard part of that is if they are in actively cutting, if they are actively in an eating disorder, if they are actively in suicidal ideation, um, or just they've already made the plan, they've made that step, that next step, that they've got everything planned out, is you really do need to call 911. You really do need to uh, contact either an emergency room or, um, unfortunately, a facility. Um, and there are, there's stigma around that, but if it keeps them safe till they can get the right medication or till they can um, figure out what's going on in that child's life, that's like worse, the ultimate case scenario. In between then, you've got to contact a counselor mm-hmm. and really you know, um, seek out services because – Regardless of if we think it's a attention-seeking or not, it's happening, and it's active, and we have to address it before it takes the next step further on that. No, absolutely. I think that's great advice, and like medication you brought up too, I think 
it's changing. I feel like it's getting better, but growing up, I feel like growing up in the church and doing that, that maybe we don't need medication or we can just pray these things away, right? That oh, <laughs> Perry made a face. Good. I hit a nerve there because that's not what we believe at Simple Church. And while we absolutely believe in prayer and we believe that God works in miraculous ways, we don't really apply that logic to a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got cancer, maybe in some places they don't, but for the most part, you go see a doctor, you get chemotherapy, you want to take care of it. If your car breaks down, you don't pray that your car gets fixed, you take it to a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And it's this this thing that I feel like it just seems like that we try to over-spiritualize some things and make it to where it's a it's something that it shouldn't be. And then in other things, when Jesus is like, hey, love your enemy, we're like, oh, no, well, we're not, that's the, we're not going to do that. But we can pray about this and getting sick, and they'll just get better by praying about it. And so maybe to speak to that, you made a face, and I don't know if you've heard that before or somebody's told that to you. As a professional Christian counselor, <laughs> what would you say to that, Perry? So there's a couple of things. When we start introducing spiritual mantras, scripture, over something, I'm not saying that that's not truth, but we can evoke what we call spiritual bypass. And spiritual bypass says, um, I'm going to take these truths and I'm just going to bypass all the psychological things I need to do. Mm. So I'm grieving, but you know what? God's good and I'm going to trust in his goodness. You know what? God loves a cheerful person, so I'm just going to be cheerful. Well, that's fabulous and I believe all of that's true and we know his word declares that. However, we also know grief is real. Mm. And sometimes we just have to grieve. Not sometimes. We, <laughs> we're we going through the grieving. we got to sit in it because that's the only way we're going to make it through it. So we don't want to over-spiritualize something, and then we get upset when it doesn't work out. Right. right? And who do we blame? Yeah. God. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so medication, I think, honestly, um, is, it has gotten better. I know some of the myths are if I put my kid on this, then they're going to be a different person. You know, I wish I could say that all medication is okay. Um, As a counselor, one of the things I really do work with parents on, and I tell them this, is I want to try everything before medication. Mm -hmm. I want to try all the coping skills. I want to try every tool in my toolbox. But sometimes if I know that child is in harm's way, if I know the suicidal ideation is going on and just can't stop, I'm going to tell you to go get medication, but no, it's because I really am worried about the child. And so the best thing to do is to go to a psychiatrist. Um, if And psychiatrists in Shreveport Bossier are hard to get into, and the waiting mm-hmm. list is long. And so if your primary care physician feels comfortable, a lot of them will not assign medication. But if you feel that they have enough history of your child that can do that in an adequate amount, the goal is never to numb out a child. Mm. It's just to get them out of kind of that crisis stage so they can be a little clearer in their thinking. And we would never make a kid feel bad that has diabetes that they need insulin, right? Yeah. I mean, we think about this, and logically, I feel like it's the baggage, and it comes with maybe (laughs) – I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. I'm thinking that we – we carry in these ideas and these things that aren't true and that get repeated and passed down from generations. And we go and we see all these different things and hear all this different stuff. And we pick and choose and internalize things that maybe we don't even realize and think about. But for me personally, and I know for you, what I've talked to about in a simple church, I'm fairly comfortable speaking on our behalf that we believe that God can use medication <laughs> and God can use therapy and God can use counseling 
just like God could use anything else. And we absolutely believe in the power of prayer. We absolutely believe that God can intervene and do miraculous things. But it also is a responsibility on our part, and as parents especially, to do what we can to seek wisdom, to seek counsel, to be wise, to do the things that we can and have to discern and pray through what to do next. But it's a... It's a scary, overwhelming thing, but it's also we don't want to limit ourselves because of something that we've heard repeated or our parents thought or our grandparents said in a passing comment worried about the shame of what it looks like or the stigma of that if we're trying to do our best for our kids. We sometimes have to hold two truths. Mm. We have to hold the truth of I need help. I need help here on this earth right now at six whatever. And the truth of my God is good and my Mm. God is powerful. And me saying I need help with medicine does not negate the power of my God. Mm. I mix the two together, I integrate those two, because I know that God says, I want the best for you. Come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest, right? And sometimes that rest comes from take what I've given you on this earth to find that healing. Mm. And so if we will learn not to exclude both, but to recognize that they can be integrated, it helps us to assess that a little bit differently. Absolutely. And so if you've not tuned off the podcast already and just picked and choose that Simple Church doesn't believe in prayer and we're only going to prescribe your kids medicine, thank you for taking that out of context. But you're still (laughs) here. You're listening, parents. You've made it. So Perry, it's a heavy thing. It's tough. And I feel for parents, man, it it really has been some of the hardest things of sitting with a family at a funeral of a suicide of a teenager Mm -hmm. or going and walking through as they weep in my office talking about they found them cutting. And it is a heavy, heavy thing. And we know we've made some jokes and made light a little bit today. But if you are going through that, if you know somebody's going through that, oh, I'm glad I thought of that. One last thing, and we'll be wrapping up, is if your child comes home and says they have a friend mm-hmm. or one of your yes. f- friends that's a parent says, my kid's starting to do this, it puts you in that really tough spot of how to speak in their life or what to do with somebody that's not directly related. What would you say to that person that can try to help and direct their friend or their family member? Sure. And so teens were not meant to carry that weight. Mm. Um, That doesn't mean if your friend is telling you that, that you're weak or anything else. Um, It means that you don't have the skills to be able to, and it's not your responsibility to carry the weight of that person's life on your shoulders. So first and foremost, tell an adult. Um, And you may be worried as a teenager, like, well, my friend's going to be mad at me, but at least they'll be alive to be mad at you. Mm. And so tell the adult and let that adult handle it because they will have the capacity to be able to handle that um, part of it. So that's the best thing that you could do. Or if you cannot get a hold of that child's caregiver or parent um, or that another adult, 911. Mm-hmm. And I know that may not be something you want to do, but it will be necessary um, for the safety of that person's life. And one other thing I would like to just mention, kind of lean back on when we talked about warning signs of suicide or of cutting or of anything else. Um, these are just a few of the warning signs that you can look into. Changes in eating and sleeping habits, um, a loss of interest in activities, um, obsession with death and with dying, um, giving or throwing away of cherished items, emotional distress, withdrawing. And I mean, like, not just I'm tired and I need to go take a nap. This is isolation. And then even extreme happiness after a depressive episode. Um, sometimes, we, again, the extremes of emotions. And then when we start to kind of come out of that fog, that can be some of the scariest times, too. And let's just be honest here. Oh, we're never going to know everything all the time. Hmm. 
and that's the hard part. And you can't. That is where I do. Yeah, parent, take that load off of you. Take that burden because you can't. You You try to do your best. You do everything that you can, but it's. One of the things I often tell my parents is remember that God has made a way for us to go to the throne room. Mm. And every day, lay your child at his feet because he will know what's going on every day. Mm. And, you know, pray that God will give you the intuition and the discernment to know how and when and all the things to ask as appropriate. Absolutely. And then just on a more practical note of, no, well, that's very practical, but on a thing of I try to say often is cell phones. It's a mm. huge deal. It's a big thing. So for me, I'm giving you permission as a parent. You give your child a cell phone. You should have all their passwords. You should be able to access and see it. We have a cell phone contract that I would do for student ministry for a long time. I'll put a link in the show notes that if when that child's old enough to get a phone, which probably should be older than they're actually getting them, but it's something that can help you to have that conversation, have that language and that expectation, and that does also help you to know things that are going on, mm-hmm. that it's not their right to have a phone. They don't get to have their own privacy yet. You're paying for it. You're giving it to them, and that is something that I fully believe in and absolutely think that you have those conversations. They know that. You're not sneaky. You're not hiding it from them, but up front, if you're going to have the phone, you get to be able to access it as the parent and help maybe see some of those warning signs as well. Yeah, and there are apps you could put on your phone, yep. like Bark, that will alert. But that's part of what increases, too, I think, some of the things that we as parents don't see is cyberbullying. Mm. Um, we know it happens when I taught it was happening, so I know it's happening even more now. And so the more and we have more... Um, we have Snapchat. We have Marco Polo. We have, and I only have two. Um, <laughs> you know, because I can't keep up with all that. But it's it's more accessible, and so kids have more um, option to unfortunately use that in a harmful way. I read an article a couple years ago that students they had caught them were cyberbullying through Google Docs. You wow. could do hidden comments, and so this thing they had to have for school that a parent and turned up seeing it and telling those different teachers and. They're going to find a way. It's something that's going to happen. And so having those conversations, starting younger, opening the communication, talking about their feelings is all such great advice. So I'm trying to do it, Perry. I'm listening to you. I appreciate you. I know there's a lot of parents that are as well. Just on the last thing, Bark is a great app. It's Mm -hmm. a resource that Life360 is one I know that Mm -hmm. a lot of parents use. We'll put a link in the show notes for all that. Do you have any other resource recommendations in general, books, ideas, articles, anything we'll link? And, again, if you download this episode, if you've never looked, we do show notes to help you. I know you're driving or you're busy or exercising and go back and look on the episode description and all the hyperlinks are there so you can go directly to all this great stuff Perry's about to tell us about. Yes. So there are several books when it comes to emotions and I'll send you those titles because there are things just to normalize it that can be fun. There's Pow Pow Fish. There's um, Visiting My Feelings. There's all the inside out books that I have in my office. And the younger Um, you start, the better. Yes. The younger you start, the better. The younger you start, the better. We read Pow Pow Fish. And so you have those Julia Cook has a lot of resources on various things. There's uh, Wilma Jean, The Worry Machine. That's one of my favorites. Oh, I don't know that I one. kind of wrap that one. But <laughs> anyway, so it's a lot of fun. But if you have um, are struggling with a teenager who, or a child in general who is struggling with, with depression, with suicidal ideation, with any of those things, these are two specific sources for that. One is called Finding the Words, How to Talk with Children and Teens About Death, Suicide, and Different Things That You May Come Across. Um The other one is so much to live for, how to provide help and hope to someone considering suicide. Mm. And so um, while they are heavy resources, they are beneficial resources that can just give you more wisdom and knowledge in that area. And if you have lost someone to suicide, first of all, my heart feels because there are so many unanswered questions Mm. um, with uh, death 
um, by suicide, but there are resources um, available with that that I'll send you as well that you can put on that link. So all that will be in the show notes. Perry, you are a source of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for being Thank willing to help parents. Me. Thank you for downloading this episode and listening. Share it with somebody that if you know has had these questions or is going through. It's a great way just to listen 30 minutes of your time, try to keep giving you these every month and help you out as parents win because it's tough. <laughs> it's hard being a parent. And we are here to help you to walk alongside you with that. So make sure you leave this episode a five-star review wherever you're listening. It just helps people to find it, makes it easier to search for, subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Perry, thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.